everybody. Welcome back to Crime Scene Queens. I'm Shelly, your legal beagle. And I am Laura, your crime scene investigator. Welcome back to our show. Crime Scene Queens is a real-life forensic perspective on all of the things that you traditionally love from true crime. Things like murder, stabbing, shooting, stealing, and general tomfoolery, but doing it in a way that's science-based and still fun. And respectful to the families and the victims. And in case you didn't remember, last week we gave you a little bit of a cliffhanger where we were discussing what happens when we have some really bloody or urinary or vomity or wet, wet. evidence, basically. Wet. Moist. Yes. Moist, moist. Moist evidence. Moist evidence. So, Shelly, if we have evidence that's wet that can't go directly into the cabinet, mm-hmm. we do something that I affectionately call Jan Johnsoning my evidence. So I'm using oh. air quotes. Yes. So for those of you who may not be familiar with Jan Johnson, she runs a company called Forensic Pieces that does forensic consulting and forensic training. And when I was a wee baby CSI, mm-hmm. Jan was one of the first people that I took a training class from. And I, the class was a violent crimes class. And she taught us what to do when you collect clothing from a victim or a suspect that had – well, actually at all. Like, like forget even it being wet yeah. and gross. And she calls yeah. it the butcher paper method. I call it the Jan mm-hmm. Johnsoning. So we have to like Jan oh. Johnson our evidence. And I really hope she listens to this because I absolutely love her. So basically nice. what you'll do is take butcher paper, like you were saying, Shelly, mm-hmm. And you are going to create a barrier between this piece of clothing and every element of its surface. So I want you to imagine Mm -hmm. that there's a big piece of butcher paper and I lay a t-shirt on top of it. Yes. I'm then going to take a cut piece of butcher paper and slide it through mm-hmm. the center of that shirt yes. so that the top and the bottom of the shirt is protected. The front from- and the back. Yes. Thank you for saying it that way. You're yeah. correct. The front and the back of the shirt are prevented from like making contact further mm-hmm. because sometimes you guys, we get these shirts like from a hospital bag and they're just kind of thrown in. So we do yeah. our best with what we have or the suspect has taken it off or the victim has taken it off or fire rescue has cut it off and thrown it. So we do our best, right? Yeah. So you're going to slide a piece of paper preventing the front and the back of the shirt from making contact. Yes. You're then going to lay another piece of paper down the center Mm -hmm. of the item, Mm -hmm. and you're going to fold the sleeves over. Yep. Then you'll take it from the bottom and flip it up because the paper that covers the bottom half of the shirt will now coat the other surface of the sleeve, and you will basically just continue to fold so that no surface of that item of clothing makes contact with another surface so we can prevent a cross-transfer of evidence. Yes. And this isn't just blood. This is GSR or gunshot residue or like anything that could be transferred. So- I remember the first time I did a discovery with a defense attorney Mm -hmm. where I was asked to produce a suspect and victim's clothing. And when I pulled out my Jan Johnson clothing, she literally stared at me and she's like, I love you. 
<laughs> you made it super yeah. easy and like she amazing. Was like, yes. this is the, she's like, this is the best evidence I have ever seen. I feel mm-hmm. so good right now. Like, yeah. y'all, defense attorneys are not always your enemy. Like, they just are making sure. They're doing their job. They're doing their job, right? So she was like so sweet. Like, this is awesome. I have no questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, she did, of course, continue to ask me questions, but she basically meant that she didn't have any, like, integrity questions. Yes. So Jan Johnsoning is a way to store evidence if you have to dry something first before you then also have to do a second cycle of that, which, by the way, the drying cabinet has to be completely decontaminated in the middle. For some crime scene units, that means paying for a specialized service mm-hmm. to come in and decontaminate. Some people do it themselves. By the way, neither one of them is wrong. We have plenty of materials to decontaminate. Yes. And there is a filter on the machine that keeps the air in a condition that doesn't allow for cross-contamination as well. And so in my crime scene units, we always had that date that that filter expired written in a huge sticker. Yeah. And I would always take a picture of it so that the metadata on my photo reflected that my evidence was entered into that fuming hood properly. Exactly. Yeah. Because Which I'm is crazy. another good Well, no, <laughs> yeah. it's a good it's a good best practice. I just did not want to be rolled up on about anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. Obviously, yeah. The wet evidence, you know, as you were talking about, you mm-hmm. know, it's not just blood. It's Mm-mm. I mean, it can be as far as, you know, decomp fluids, bodily fluids yes. for sexual, you know, it's, yeah. Pee. People, pee, it, you guys, when victims, I'm sorry, I don't, like, I feel Feces. like this is going to be a sensitive thing to say, but like victims, when they're afraid in the middle of their incident, they pee themselves. So, yeah, sometimes they do. Yeah. And that is, you know, we do take it's evidence. Clothes. It's evidence. And sometimes it is the evidence that sinks in. Like I, I mean, I don't really even like, I have some memories where I had a victim's clothing and it was covered in urine and I like felt feelings. Yeah. Because it's hard like, not to. I have never experienced fear to the point of urination. So I have extreme empathy for somebody who has. Yeah. Because I'm not saying I haven't experienced fear that felt very deep, right? Correct. So when I have somebody that, like, is there, have urine-soaked clothing that's an adult that doesn't have continence issues, I am like, damn, I have empathy for this person in the way that I don't understand what you, what you have now gone through. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that, that definitely hits. That definitely yeah. hits. Yeah. I mean, a few things hit. That's a personal one for me. Everybody mm-hmm. has things that hit. If you don't yeah. have things that hit, then good for you. You know, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But <laughs> Definitely have things that hit. <laughs> so to your point about decomp fluids. So I did have a woman who was killed mm-hmm. and she was rolled up in a tarp. Okay. And thrown in water. And Hello, Adipus here episode. You'll have to go back and check that out. Yes. But when you decompose in water, it's super, super gross. Mm-hmm. And I had to, when we found her, unroll her and then hang that thing in the drying cabinet. And it was, oh, I can't, it's indescribable. Yeah. It was like, because I had to then pull the chunks out first. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and that sounds, that sounds, you know, that might sound like, you know, you're not being sensitive, but no, it, I mean, th- this I, is real stuff. Like this isn't, it's yeah, just, it's, this is real stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's, but people do really terrible things to each other. And in our process of trying to like find justice, you have yes. to do things where you're like, you know, when I was little, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never did I imagine that I would be doing this right now. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that was one of those moments where I remember I was unrolling this. I, I had the tarp. All right. She was with the medical examiner. Oh, OK. And what was intertwined in the tarp, I actually don't even know if it was her or just stuff. Goo. Goo. Yeah. Like where she was was not like a clean body of water. Additionally, weapons, when we collect guns off of a crime scene, we do mm-hmm. have a very particular way of doing this, okay? So we're going to mm-hmm. be documenting the action of the gun, which is the element of the firearm that causes it to discharge, okay? Yes. So the position of it. Now, I'm not going to go too deeply into single action, double action, automatic, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. But we're going to document the position of the action. We're going to document the magazine or the cylinder if it's a revolver or yes. et cetera. We're going to yes. document the position of a round in the chamber, mm-hmm. the trigger, the trigger, like all of these things. And then when we go to package that evidence, because that's what this episode is about, yes. we have something called a gun box. Yes. So there are gun boxes for handguns. Mm-hmm. And then there are gun boxes for long guns. Now, in both situations, you are going to secure the gun to the gun box. There are perforations and mm-hmm. you're going to zip tie the gun. So basically, it does not bang around the box. You're also going to remove any ammunition from the gun or any magazines. Mm-hmm. When when do you guys add your when do you when do you keep safe it? So when do you add your gun locks like trigger locks when pa- packaging? I okay. do it in packaging. Okay, yeah, like that's, yeah. Yeah, the, before I even put it in the box, I, all right, so so guys, what Shelly is referring to is there's a process called making the gun safe. And what that means is when somebody opens the box of evidence, they need a visual acknowledgement that the gun is not in a firing position. So if that means pulling back a slide, if that means sticking a zip tie through the revolver cylinder, Mm -hmm. you are going to have a zip tie through the action of that firearm. And then I secure it to the gun box. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but before I do that, I'll be documenting like the position of all the things that I aforementioned. Yeah. Yeah, but I do it immediately. Sometimes there are unique firearms and I will ask for help for somebody on scene who is more knowledgeable. And in that circumstance, I will acknowledge in my report officer or detective or whoever so-and-so or sergeant made the gun safe. Mm -hmm. It's just an acknowledgement that while the gun was still in my custody, I did not make that safe because I don't want to be questioned on my understanding of the firearm if I don't have it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So then we'll secure it to the box and then it would be submitted to evidence in a manner that is not dangerous to others. Correct. And to go a little bit deeper into gun collection, Mm -hmm. a lot of firearms get thrown into water for disposal. Yes. Now here's the deal. When you pull a gun out of water and expose it to the air, 
it immediately starts to rust Mm -hmm. and that decreases your ability to make a ballistic analysis of that gun. So the rule is if you are going to be collecting a firearm from a body of water, you Mm -hmm. are to collect it in the same water in a bucket. Yes. So you scoop the gun. Or mm-hmm. you pick it up in the water. You never let the firearm leave the water. And you yes. will submit the gun in the bucket. And oftentimes, depending on your agency and their practice or their SOP or standard operating procedures, because that gun is not necessarily made safe, we have transported it directly to the lab without it being checked into evidence at the PD. Yes, and but you still do chain of custody on that. Of course. No, there's yes. a property receipt. You'll yes. still generate a paper property receipt. Anytime something is leaving the possession of our agency, it gets a property receipt, whether yes. or not it's been checked in somewhere. So that's a little bit about guns. And knives or sharp swords, machetes, whatever you want, mm-hmm. are somewhat similar in the way that they additionally go in a box and are yes. secured to that box with zip ties to make sure that the knife isn't going to... I have literally been asked to transport somebody's evidence because I was already going to the lab to bring evidence. And mm-hmm. somebody just threw a knife in a gun box without securing it with zip ties. Oh, okay. That knife went right through the bottom of the box. Like, what an Oh, that... Uh, I can see okay. that happening. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about rust, too. Just so, no. yeah. Just No. <laughs> That is not best practices for (laughs) anyone, y'all. Okay, anyone. So let's go ahead and float to DNA evidence. I know that we've done an entire episode on touch DNA and how we package it, but just to be thorough on our episode, typically for Dutch DNA, I use two swabs. Yes. I use sterile water to wet one. Mm -hmm. I swab for a minimum of three minutes. I put it in a box. The box is sealed with evidence tape and my initials. That box then goes in another evidence envelope sealed with my initials. Both of them also include the date. And they get forwarded to evidence and then the lab. Now, I do want to reference Buchel or Buckle, Buchel Mm -hmm. or Buckle standards, because I thought that it might be interested, Shelly, because recently I have been asked a question about consent for DNA. Now, before I let you go on. Yes. Both agencies I worked for had different practices for this. My first agency, verbal consent was fine for a buccal swab or a buckle swab, okay? The second agency not only required verbal but written consent. Mm -hmm. And I found out that it's flexible like that in Florida. So how is it from your perspective coming from the legal field? So all agencies are different. However, the the law pretty much is not so much. So mm-hmm. if you decide that you don't want – I call it the buckle swab. If you decide yeah. that you are going to refuse your buckle swab, well, guess what, folks? You can mm-hmm. be charged with a misdemeanor that is punishable potentially by a fine of $500. Oh, really? And a year in jail. Yes. That's interesting. Yes, and officers, law enforcement can use re- reasonable force to okay. get that buckle swab from you. And actually under the California state law, adults and minors, which this is interesting because some states are different within with mm-hmm. adults and minors, but in California, it is a requirement to collect DNA samples from anyone that was arrested and booked on suspicion of a felony crime. 
So California has this DNA database for felons and individuals that are arrested for felony offenses. And so even if the individual was never convicted or or formally charged, as long as Mm -hmm. they were arrested and booked, the DNA sample is kept and it's just based on the arrest. So when you're arrested and you're booked, so when you're arrested, obviously, you know, either you're detained, you're arrested and you're handcuffed, right? Or you're, you know, placed somewhere being detained. You've been read Miranda, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're actually booked, you go through your photograph, your mugshots and you're fingerprinted. And then that's when, you know, depending on on the, the crime, if it's, you know, a, a felony offense, then your DNA or buckle swabbed. There are other ways, but the buckle swab, which is the cheek swab, is the right. most common, the most common way. So for me, the beginning of my career, people had the right to deny a swab. And then what we would do is get a court order and then we'd have to go swab them or print them in court. And it was a whole big to do. Yes, that, that's the way that I think it used to be in a lot of states. And mm-hmm. now, you know, a lot more states uh, right. within the past couple of years have been saying that, you know, definitely right. it's, yeah, it's mandatory. So towards the end of my time at that PD, case law was changed. And if you were under arrest, you no longer have the right to refuse the swab. And they would hold you down and make you open your mouth. Yeah. Whether or not you liked it. So when you say reasonable force, you mean what it takes to get that person to provide the standard. Correct. Right? Yeah. So we're not punching you in the head, but we are holding you down and making you open your mouth. Reasonable versus excessive. Correct. Of There's, course. You know, reasonable so, force versus excessive force. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like the, yeah. you know, the the uh, person that's being arrested for drunk driving, right? So, you, yeah. you know, blood alcohol. Well, yeah. the reason that it's called a blood alcohol is because they take your blood Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. have a right to do so, right? Based so, on yeah. like field sobriety or whatever it exactly. is. Exactly. Yeah, the FFTs and FSTs and right. stuff. Yeah. So, at some point, you know, places, I guess, got their evidence challenged enough to like where my second agency also wanted that written consent. Now, a weird wrench in this is when victims deny the swab. So I know we talked about the rules of CODIS, and it's mostly because of those rules being, like, unclear to that person because they went and did something before their crime, and they don't want their DNA to show up. Okay, well, then I guess your crime isn't getting processed then because we need your standard, too, like, most of the time. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like – I guess, you know, it's kind of like a domestic violence where, you know, Mm -hmm. the one doesn't want to press charges against the other. Well, and I I don't know how it works in California, but in Florida, you no longer have the right to deny that because (laughs) the state then becomes the victim and prosecutes for you for for domestic violence. I don't know if that's true outside of our state. Yeah, pretty much, you know, the the, the rule of of thought is, you know, if you're Mm going to call on a domestic violence, one of the two is going to jail. Yes. Well, I know that, like, if there's a very clear aggressor, like for us, like the victim has no right to not prosecute, but like where other crimes, if there's no victim, certain circumstances, no right? Correct. Certain circumstances. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. So, what I kind of wanted to circle back to is I have also been asked, how do you know what's evidence on a scene? Mm-hmm. What's too much evidence to collect? Mm-hmm. What's too little? Okay. Uh huh. Let me tell the story from baby CSI, baby CSI Laura time again. <laughs> I was in one of my very first crime scenes. It was a vehicle burglary. 
but it was also a recovered stolen. So let me re- let me digress. It was a recovered stolen vehicle. So it wasn't just a okay. vehicle burglary. Okay. And this was a little old lady, super sweet old lady. Mm-hmm. And I collected everything in the car. Oh, and my oh trainer was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, wait, 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 wait. What are you doing? You yeah. now have a ridiculous <laughs> amount of crap to put into evidence for this stolen vehicle. And I yeah, was like, Yeah, you have a stolen well, vehicle and you have a 47 page report. What's going yeah, on? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. like, What's what what is happening here? And I was like, Well, I don't know what in the vehicle was touched by the suspect. I'm trying to be thorough. Like, I was basically like super overzealous. And he's like, Okay, let's play this game. This mm-hmm. Jan Sport backpack, is that hers? And I was like, well, probably not. He goes, right. This club flyer, is this hers? I said, well, probably not. Mm-hmm. He goes, this purse with mints and a brush and a wallet with her license in it, is that hers? Yeah. And I said, yeah. He goes, you didn't need to collect it. I said, mm-hmm. okay. Then he goes, this black and mild cigar, is this hers? <laughs> I said, probably not. This Mountain Dew, is it hers? I said, no. He goes, all right, there was enough. You didn't need to collect 67 items of evidence when a lot of the things, like this like little cardigan over here, was that hers? Okay, yeah, yeah it was Most hers. likely, because that's cute. Right. So he was basically saying that like her purse and her little flowered like, cardigan and like her umbrella, like these things can be photographed. These are not like... In comparison to everything that we were able to take from the car that very clearly was not hers. So at the end of the day, the rule is more is more. Like not less is more, more is more. Like you're never going to get in trouble for collecting too much. Like that's not going to ever be bad. But what he was trying to coach me on is you right now are new. You do not have a caseload. You don't have 40 cases outstanding to write a report. You don't have lockers full of evidence to process. This makes sense for you right now. But eventually, your bandwidth cannot handle doing shit like this. Okay, so two things. One Mm -hmm. is when you say that you're not going to ever get in trouble for collecting too much. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens if you have, you know, prosecution says, cool, mm-hmm. you collected 67 items of evidence. That's great. And then defense goes, but if you would have collected the 68th item, it would have mm-hmm. proven my client's guilt. But oh, I cleared the car. That wasn't going to happen that time. <laughs> then, you know, I yeah. mean, so you know what I'm saying? Like there's that, oh, well, what about well, this? Why did you not collect this? So then they, you know, they can, they try mm-hmm. to cast, they try to cast doubt on that. Yeah. So I get your point, but I think the what we were trying to gather was placing somebody in that car that sh- she did not grant consent to. Correct. So that was like the whole – and what yeah. I needed to understand and what he was trying to teach me is that we don't need all of these things because you have 12 things that probably have his prints and his Correct. DNA on it, including Correct. my swabs and my prints yeah. of the yeah. internal doorknob. Yeah. The including mirror. the seat buckle. He goes, you have so much that I'm glad that you were thinking like this, mm-hmm. but you did not need to collect these items that, do not tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I get that. I mean, that, you know, that's kind of, that was the, that's, I think that's the educational train of thought mm-hmm. as well. 
Right. So one thing that, you know, on newer cars, you have the push button to start, mm-hmm, push to start. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is the best spot for yes. pulling a, for lifting a print. Like that is dumb. 100%. So the one thing that you said is that he was like, you know, you didn't need to collect her purse. Well, mm-hmm. so that that is something that actually, you know, there was a similar situation. You collected, you know, 80 things of evidence. And it's like, why did you collect the victim's purse? Well, guess what? Inside their purse was their wallet. Inside their wallet oh, that's where they had their money and their credit cards. And guess whose prints were inside mm-hmm. the wallet? So yeah, right. while it was a stolen vehicle and right. there were, you know, little old lady, for instance, you know, it was her vehicle yeah. that was stolen. And then there were 10 other people's prints. Well, nine of those other people didn't know that the vehicle was stolen. It was that 10th mm-hmm. person that had their prints inside the purse in, you know, on the wallet, which made it, okay, that is your incriminating evidence. And that's 100%. what got them. A hundred percent. No, and I... I, you know, I think that his point at the time may have been that I individually numbered the items in the purse. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you don't necessarily. But all right. <laughs> what I kind of wanted to tap into is at the end of the day, there are a few things that make a CSI successful. And one thing that you can teach is to have an eye for detail. Mm-hmm. And that requires care. And being patient and tapping into your inner tinker gene. So what I mean by the tinker gene is, do you remember when you were a kid and toys were exciting and just even like lifting the arms of a doll or like fiddling with things was exciting? Playing with G.I. Joe's, yeah. Yeah, it's like the whole premise behind fidget toys. Yeah. To have the tinker gene allows you to fiddle with stuff and see how it works. And it makes you curious. Mm-hmm. So that, if you can tap into your inner curiosity, I really think that contributes to being a successful CSI. Yeah. But there is something that I think that you can't teach. And that is intuition. And that's when you walk into a scene and something doesn't feel right. Yes. And something seems wrong. And intuition can come naturally or it can come from experience and time in the job and just Mm -hmm. feeling it and knowing it. Now, intuition isn't quantifiable or qualifiable. So you can't write things like that in your report. But what you can do is – Correct. The dishevelment of this crime scene was inconsistent with typical burglary scenes. Yes. And what I mean by that – are these things. Like you don't just get Mm -hmm. to blanket say stuff, right? So intuition is why you should always have one or two or three mentors, why you should be exceptionally observant and why you should always take your time because these little nuanced things can fall through the cracks. An example of a time that an officer did this that led to something really big that I was involved in was an officer made a traffic stop Mm -hmm. because the person was driving with the baby in their lap. Now, that's against the law. Your child Mm -hmm. has to be safely secured in the proper seat. Mm -hmm. But it's not out of the ordinary in South Florida. For some people, if like the grocery store is like a half a mile away to kind of wing it. Yeah. So he stops this car based on the child seat. And nobody in the car is weird. 
nothing is wrong. Obviously, he was making a deal out of the kid being mm-hmm. unsafe. Yeah. But he said that something just felt wrong. Okay. And he didn't know what it was. So it was an SUV. Mm-hmm. And he asked them to pop the back. Uh-oh. And they would not pop the back. Uh-oh. So everybody had to come out of the vehicle. Mm-hmm. They had to write a warrant. Or I don't even remember if it was a warrant. I don't. I, I don't uh, that might have been probable cause, reasonable, reasonable yeah. suspicion. There was yeah. so there were yeah. I actually, Shelly, I don't even recall, but I just know yeah. that we had to basically go through the processes of being able to open the back the right mm-hmm. way. So Correct. I was called because they expected this car to not have something good back there. Mm-hmm. So they opened the back of this SUV. There are seven or eight stolen long guns. Oh. That are not simple rifles. They are aggressive-looking weapons. Oh, okay. And I'm not going to say what they were because I'm not going to try to even tap into that. Let's just say they were yeah. aggressive-looking weapons. Okay. There were over 500 stolen credit cards. Oh, my. Wow. Over 500 with these stolen guns. Wow. So your girl here swabbed <laughs> and printed Every single one of them. 500 cards in all of the guns. And I actually have a picture of it. I'll have to send it to you or like post it on the internet. Now that they're not there anymore and they can like whatever. But I actually ended up getting employee of the month for the whole city for that because I did collect evidence that was, you know, not good. Not good for those people. That is super rad. I love that. I absolutely love that. It took me. I got approved for special overtime to basically sit there and go. And they said to me, do it until you can't. Go home, go to sleep, take a shower, eat, come back, and finish. So yeah. I worked straight for days. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's a yeah. ton. It was a lot. Yeah. So wow. that's my, in, that is probably the most items of evidence. Yeah. I okay, don't I, I don't even, yeah, no, that's the most items of evidence that I've processed for one singular case. Over yeah. it was over five hundred credit wow. cards. I don't remember the exact number plus the seven guns. Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's wow, wow. Well, I mean, you know, kudos to you. And I think that like <laughs> this is probably a good spot for maybe us to wrap up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> now that you guys know way too much about evidence and search and processing and packaging and all that, I hope yeah. you wanted to. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, there's a couple of takeaways, I guess. You know, if you're going to be arrested and booked, then you cannot deny your DNA. Just open your mouth and make it easier for all of us. Open up and say, ah. Exactly. That's what she said, right. And then, you know, another thing is, you know, it's the little things that get you busted. You know, it's that that mm-hmm. push button start. It's, you know, you're you're digging through someone else's wallet. And, you know, even if you have gloves on, you can't get those credit cards out. So you actually take the gloves off to get the credit cards out. Oh, but yeah. when you're touching other things, guess what? You're leaving your prints. So, you know. Yeah. And definitely. I guess my te- my key takeaway is that evidence is everywhere and anywhere and it exists in every size and science is only getting smarter. So we're only being able to collect it better and more efficiently and provide more results from tinier amounts of it. So maybe just don't fuck around and find out. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. Please share this with your friends. Yeah, and you know, if you ever want to reach out, you can you know you can get us on social media, but you can also email us at hello at crimescenequeens.com. 
So, you know, drop us an email. Tell us how much you love us. Well, also, if you have an episode suggestion or something that you would like to hear about, definitely drop us a line. I mean, our Crime Scene Queens social media accounts are all Crime Scene Queens. And then Shelly and I each have our own accounts. Mine is CSI Laura. Shelly's is CSQ Shelly. Right? And what shouldn't they forget, Laura? Well, if you're going to die, do your local CSI a favor and keep it interesting. Crime Scene Queens is a Q-Code Media production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Ryan Countshouse. Edited by Nate Befort. And theme song and music by Darren Johnson.